1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk preview podcast for this week. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thank you so much for joining us. With a couple of surprising results today, combined with the news that Antonio Conte is set to join Chelsea, I am joined by World Soccer Talk alum and Chelsea fan, Morgan Green. Morgan, thanks for being back on the World Soccer Talk podcast.
1: It is good to be back, Napoon. Thank you for dragging me out of the uh, darkness in the wilderness to bring me back.
2: Well, that that mustache of yours needs to be heard from time to time, so we're glad uh, you're back on the, the pod world. So, uh... With Morgan, we're going to talk about a variety of things today. Obviously, the Champions League results. We're going to preview the weekend's results and then, of course, talk about Antonio Conte. So in section one, we're going to do Champions League. Morgan, let's just get right into it. Uh, The Results from yesterday, Barcelona beating Atleti 2-1, Bayern winning 1-0 Benfica. The Barcelona game, let's start with that because I think most people would have watched that, myself included. Uh, I was watching that live and then caught the Bayern game later. I was pretty interested by the way Barcelona set up in this game. Atleti really had the beating of them for first 25 minutes. Barcelona did not create much except for a couple of chances that Neymar missed. I'm wondering what you thought in the way that Barcelona set up. There was almost a sense of, okay, we are at home. We are going to win this. We're not going to get scored on. And then your beloved Fernando Torres scored.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, it's you know Torres if he's got one team that he scores against as we've seen from the numbers it is Barcelona I mean Mm -hmm. he always seems to pop up against them yeah um he's done it for years now although there was no um, Gary
2: Neville this time to go no
1: (laughs) there was was no happy right exactly unfortunately Yeah, yeah um you know as far as the setup and everything at this point Atletico have built such a name for themselves over the past couple Years with Simeone, Mm -hmm. that you're seeing teams start to, you know, try to prepare for that. It's now, it's not just, okay, we have to set up in a certain way just so we can beat Real Madrid and Barcelona. It's, okay, we had to throw Atlético Madrid into that. And you're seeing it now with the big boys, too. I mean, before, you know, you'd have a third place team that was 20, 30 points off. Mm -hmm. between the top two now you've got atletico that's actually challenging on there so barcelona real madrid are having to change their tactics up just for that just for atletico so i wasn't too shocked in the way that they set up um you know or again from i didn't get a chance to watch the whole game i just saw the highlights just seeing everything on there especially the way that it played out in the first half really feeling them out they let atletico kind of have the better of the game at that point and then the second half just kind of suarez did what suarez does and yeah, they ended up winning the game. So it, you know, as far as the setup goes, yeah, not very shocking at all uh, that you're seeing this now with teams playing against Atletico Madrid like that.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you. The Suarez thing is interesting. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, but you know, from an Atleti perspective, I keep I keep thinking to myself the way that they set up in the in the midfield uh, with Gabi, Koké, and Niguez, and in fact, Koké was involved in the the build up, an excellent assist for uh Torres's goal and I can't help but think that they for the majority of the game uh structurally had a had a big uh upper hand over Busquets and and uh, um and Rakitic. I thought Iniesta got on the ball a little bit was able to drive forward but did not have enough of an influence to have an assist or uh, spread the ball too much. But at least he was able to have an impact. So other than Iniesta, I thought Barcelona's midfield really struggled. Busquets' major contribution to the game was getting a couple of yellow cards for like, yeah. <laughs> Madrid's team. Uh, so from those perspectives, as well as the goal that was conceded, you have to worry about Barcelona going back uh, next week uh, for Wednesday night's game.
1: I, you do a little bit the the only thing that's really hurting Madrid at the Atletico Madrid at this point is the fact that w- when you get a goal outside of Antoine Griezmann mm-hmm. it's a blessing I mean mm-hmm. he's been the only guy I think he's what's he at now 24 goals, yeah he's 22 I think, I think Niguez, yeah 24 mm-hmm. yeah Niguez is at like eight and he's the second leading scorer so um I mean it it really does come down to if you you know if you can negate Saul or not Saul Niguez uh you can negate Antoine Griezmann. Mm-hmm. You've got a good chance of at least drawing at Real Madrid at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Barcelona kind of almost dared them. Okay, you know, let Torres beat us. Let you know, uh, Yannick Ferrer Carrasco beat us. Let somebody else score for them. We know in our hearts, if we really push forward and we can try and put it together, we know one of the three—Neymar, Messi, or suarez to score at least one. Yeah, And they ended up getting two. So you're, you're going to see, I think, again, the second leg, almost that daring look where we're going to make sure that Griezmann's a non-factor. And with now Torres being out for the next one, it's going to be Ferrer Carrasco and maybe Luciano Vietto, Or maybe he's going to see him. Maybe he'll throw another midfielder on. Yeah. I don't know uh, what Simeone is going to do. But, you yeah, know, they're going to have to find one more guy to try and step up and score outside. Out of Griezmann because I highly doubt Atletico is going to let him run right, especially with it being as close as it is now.
2: Yeah, Carrasco is a good shout there, Morgan. Because I thought he was the best player for Atletico, other than maybe Gabby. I, I thought he was terrific. Um, got past the defense multiple times. I thought Alves was found out a couple of times. Alves had another s- poor game. I thought he was very poor in the El Clasico. Again, I've done that again in El Clasico, uh, and uh, again I thought he was fairly poor in this game. So Carrasco is a good shout. You talk about Torres missing. I think Suarez will be missing for the return leg. I think, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see his kick out at Juan Fran, but I think he will get a retrospective uh, uh, ban for that. Uh, Did you get a chance to see that?
1: I did not get a chance to see it, no. Uh, So, what? I I was in the bar last night when I caught most of mine, so it was kind of in between pints.
2: Yeah, so, so, (laughs) yeah, what happened was uh, Juan Fran and, uh, so Suarez has the ball. Uh, over hits, over strikes, sorry, has a heavy touch, one front clears it, and Suarez, for absolutely no reason, has a kick out at him. Clear as day, the referee had already turned his back, so he didn't see it. So I really do believe there will be retrospective punishment, in which case Suarez will be missing for the return leg, uh, which will have huge consequences, I think. Because I thought Messi was poor, uh, I thought Neymar was probably... Uh, the one getting most involved but his heading let him down Uh, he hit the post Uh, he got involved but he wasn't uh, at his clinical best so those are things we'll think about for next week let's move ahead to the Bayern Benfica game early 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 second minute goal by the Chilean Arturo Vidal was really the difference maker here between Bayern Munich and uh, Portugal's leaders Benfica in the starting lineup we saw the usual mix Uh, we saw Ribéry start he's Pretty much back to full fitness at this point. He's been working himself back over the last month or so. Uh, for, for Benfica, the big talking points was, uh, Gaetan as well, who had a good game. Bayern to the way I look at this was Bayern was good for the first five minutes they scored. And for the last 10 minutes where they, they felt like, hey, looks like we don't, this 1-0 result isn't good enough. Let us try to get another one. And between that, it was a lot of sideways passing. Lot of lack of penetration, and you can argue that Benfica could have had a goal.
1: Yeah, and honestly, this is one that I caught a few of the highlights on. Um, you know, to me, Bayern at this point in the Guardiola era with Bayern yeah. Munich, with them already knowing that he's going. Obviously, I'm not saying that anybody's going to lay off on there, but I think that he's probably going to be he's he seems to be setting up a little bit differently to Mm -hmm. me at least from the games that I've watched some of the highlights that I've seen with them how so Um, and like you said well I mean it's again the five minutes at the beginning and then just kind of do whatever we got to do and then try and get a late goal on right like something like this that's not a way that you set up as a dominant team which is what Bayern Munich are which is what they should be. They, mm-hmm. Against a team like Benfica, who again are a good team. They've got very good players. They've got young players. Good um, defensively. Yeah. I haven't mm-hmm. heard of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you've got firepower like Lewandowski, Ribri, you've got the, you know, D- uh, Douglas Costas, Thomas Muller. I mean, these are guys that should be scoring against everyone. Yeah, sounds,
2: sounds like some pretty what good I mean, players. <laughs> yeah. We've heard of a few of them. Would, would
1: you, yeah. Would you be shocked if Fire Munich won this game 4 0? No, absolutely no. not. No. You'd expect it all. Um, so the fact that they did go in one nil, it it kind of makes you wonder, you know what what are we you know what are they doing? I mean, what's the mentality? What's the mentality of Pep? What's the mentality of the team at this point? Because you know these, these are games that even you know even last year or the year before, I mean, they would roll over Benfica all over them and, mm-hmm. and embarrass them. I mean, it, Lewandowski would have one of his five goal games, <laughs> right? You know, so I mean, it's a little it is a little worrying for uh for me if i'm a bayern munich fan they're definitely going to go through i'd say even though uh you know benfica is a tough place to play so uh, yeah that that's one thing on there but i just i don't think that they have, have the strikers i mean you look at like jonas mitroglou i mean Gaitán's always dangerous but you know these a guy like mitroglou playing striker he's not somebody who's going to be very quick he's not very right. athletic he's more of a, you know, reactionary striker, Mm -hmm. you know, like he'll get the ball and take a hit, or if he gets a good, he gets a good header in the box. And I think that Byron's defense is is good enough to be able to mark him out of a game. And he does get marked out of games. He's, unfortunately, we've seen it not just at the club level, but we've also seen it at the, uh, at the international level with him as well. So I'd be shocked if he started uh, the second game for them, needing a goal like this, they might put some more athletic players in or some more players who are a little bit more, Energetic to kind of cause that chaos in the back.
2: Yeah, By- Byron's defensive problems, I think you hinted at hinted those, are going away. They are getting better because they've got some bodies back. Uh, you know, going into the uh, game against Juventus, they were really struggling for defensive players, but uh, they have got some of those players back. Image played, Alaba played, uh, and Lam, uh, the ever present Lam, also played. So, um, um boys. Yeah, we just don't know where he'll play. He'll always play. We just don't know where. Midfield, left back, right back, center back, striker, <laughs> goalkeeper. Uh, so yeah, I I think I'm with you. I think the one nothing should have been more. We, we agree on base of talent, but I cannot see Benfica scoring in the way, uh, in the, uh, in the leg away from uh, at home. So you still think, I still think buy enough for favorites to go through. Let's move ahead to talking about, uh, the club that Guardiola will be going to. Uh, getting a very good result away uh, City 2-2 at PSG. Uh, I thought, Morgan, tactically the game was really well set up by both managers. I know Blanc gets a lot of criticism sometimes. I thought he had, he got his tactics right. But it came down to individual errors for me and, and huge turnovers in midfield. These are things that led to all the goals. Every single goal in this game was either an error in midfield or an error in defense. And including, you know, the likes of your beloved David Luiz, who you know, there is always an always an error in that guy, right? Uh, yeah. And then Fernando as well. I don't know what Fernando was thinking with with the the first touch he had. Uh, Yaya, I think that we should not mention is Yaya is still injured. I think that probably contributed. But at the end of the day, this is an incredible result for Man City away from home.
1: It is, and I think that at this point. You know, Pellegrini obviously knows he's out. He's going to be auditioning for his next job. And for him to really make an impact on yeah. his team, it's going to be how far he can take them in the Champions League. Right. Yeah, I mean, we all agree on that. If he does somehow magically take them to, you know, the finals, um, God forbid they end up winning it. I wouldn't, I mean, again, I'd feel good for Kartik, but I wouldn't like to see that myself. Right. Um, but if they do that, then he kind of etches himself into that and he really validates himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pellegrini is a manager, and I'm sure Kartik has droned on about this for a long time. I know we have. He really is kind of, I think he's underrated as a manager. He's a very good manager. He's yeah. one that I would have liked to have seen at
2: Chelsea
1: uh, several years ago. Too. He's too, he's too but, classy uh, for um, Chelsea,
2: Morgan, but that's a different thing. Go on.
1: No, no, he's not. He <laughs> took the real. Madrid job, trust me, he's <laughs> not too classy, Chelsea. <laughs> um, but you know he is a, I mean, he's a good manager, so he yep. knows what he has to do. I mean, he's got to the latter stages of this competition with a lot less than yep. he's had at City. So it's really a, um, you know, I think what you're seeing now and the performances you're going to see out of City. I mean, it's going to be hard fought. You know, this return leg is going to be huge uh, Mm -hmm. when they go back to the Etihad. And I think PSG, you know, the the other thing with PSG is they've been in this situation before against English opposition, and they've come out on top. So it's, uh, you know, this is new ground for City. PSG know what they have to do. They know how to win it. Both teams have immense talent. I just feel like, you know, PSG with the experience they have, the Mm -hmm. talent and the fact that they do have such game changers like Zlatan like Mm -hmm. Edinson Cavani they've got Lucas Mora who's been on the mend and playing a lot better recently I mean they've just got I think you know as good as City is the talent from one to you know 13-14 at PSG is just a little bit more than what City's got and I think ultimately when it comes down to even if it comes down to you know those extra 120 minutes or those extra you know half an hour hour right. there at the end. I think that's what's going to see PSG through. The best thing City could hope for, I think, going into the home leg is just, you know, draw it out. Don't give up, you know, draw it out 1-1, one, one, don't, you know, no 2 twos or anything like that, right, right, and get to penalties and try and go through that way.
2: Yeah, I thought, uh, in, for from City perspective first, I thought De Bruyne was magnificent today. He was excellent in the game against Bournemouth uh, on Sunday, but of course you know, it's Bournemouth, so you don't really take too much uh, yeah, uh you, I
1: mean Bournemouth are a tough team though I mean yeah yeah the, I agree are, but of
2: course we're you know the, there's still a huge difference between Bournemouth and and yeah. PSG so in this game yeah. I thought he would yeah I thought <laughs> there was a there was probably one of uh he was probably one of the best players on the pitch he was given a free role, Morgan we, you know we've got so used to seeing him uh play as either one of an attacking three or one of the wingers that see him uh, I I really enjoyed seeing him play in this free role. it was a a traditional artista role that you usually don't see anymore from English teams away in the Champions League and huge credit to Pellegrini because De Bruyne, even though he kind of faded towards the last 10-15 minutes probably because of the fact that he's still coming back to full fitness, he was excellent. Got on the ball, even played some defense, uh, you know, was involved in both goals. Terrific, terrific performance by De Bruyne.
1: Yeah, and again, not shocking at all. Mm -hmm. You know, you knew... Even when he was at Chelsea, he knew De Bruyne was a good talent. Um, he's probably him and Lukaku in my mind are the big, are the two biggest that they sold off. That's going to end up biting them yeah. in the ass uh, for a long, long time unless they somehow manage to pry him back, which I highly doubt they will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given him that free role, oh, well, that's, that's that's on un, that's until
2: is, that's until you guys let Falcao go. He, he's going to be the oh, real yeah. one you will regret. Falcao's going
1: to be the one we really, really, really regret. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Morgan, let me. Let me too. Yeah, again, go ahead.
1: He, he is such a creative. I was just to say with De Bruyne, I mean, he's such a creative player yeah. that a free a free role like that does fit him, and
0: exactly. that's something
1: that you know when he was at Chelsea, when he did get playing time, he was shunted out on the wing, mm-hmm. and you know again at Wolfsburg, I didn't really get a chance to watch him a whole lot there at Wolfsburg. I'm sure they gave him a little bit of free reign, but a lot of the time you saw him, he was out on that wing doing his thing, and I think right. that he's one of those guys that yes, he knows how to do the job on the wing, but if you absolutely need him to. I think he can really excel in that free role there. I just think that there are some players that these teams like City and Chelsea and uh, Wolfsburg trust a little bit more in that free role than he does at this point mainly because of his age.
2: Yeah, so a uh, couple other things that I want to bring up. First thing is that mid, not even midway, maybe 10 minutes into the game, uh, everyone that was watching this game on online using the Fox Soccer Go app, was magically switched to Fox News for about 25 minutes. And I kept wondering, to, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, depending on who you are, maybe that, that's that's a good thing, I guess. But, you know, we missed a penalty uh, save. We missed a, a a goal. So we missed all kinds of stuff. But I kept thinking to myself, I wonder how much of, you know, an intersection is there in the sets that watch soccer and follow Fox News. And uh, I wonder if anyone can do that stat for us. It would be pretty interesting. I, I, don't,
1: I don't think there's a whole lot i don't yeah.
2: think there's a whole point, lot either
1: <laughs> point, yeah i mean at this point you know with fox you could tell me that they showed five minutes of the game and then tried to air or like a debate or something <laughs> like that a champions league game i wouldn't be shocked I mean, just it seems like the ineptitude of fox when it comes to do, airing soccer and not just the champions league i mean yeah. we saw things like this when they had the Premier League. We've seen things like this with the Bundesliga where they've either messed up the feeds, yeah. they're putting the biggest games on, on second channels. I mean, it really, at this point, it, it almost seems like they have soccer around just to say, hey, we were the guys that had it first. Right. You right. Know I mean? should, NBC, should NBC get those? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that NBC, I think they're doing well with just, just the Premier League right now, and I think they should probably just keep that set up. But right. maybe you know, maybe start seeing those other leagues like the Bundesliga, uh, like the Champions League, going to something like BN, who actually yep. is set up to take care of these yep. things. I I'll wouldn't agree be with shocked that. if uh, Fox got outbid in the next couple of years for those rights.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. BN picked up NASL over here North American Soccer League, so yes. I'm interested to see well, that. So...
1: Uh, the I M E F C Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. game.
2: Yep, watch in D eleven this weekend. You might be able yep. to see me waving Fox. in the crowd. So Morgan, let's uh, one last point about this game. So an interesting point made by the uh, by one of the Fox commentators. I'm not sure who it was. Uh, said, um, talked about how one of the reasons he sees why PSG capitulated in this game is he felt that PSG have not played enough high intensity games because they've been strolling through league 1 and just walking away. With games and City have had to play high-intensity games week in week out, and I found it interesting because it's the exact reverse of the argument that teams from England struggle in the Champions League because they worked too hard week to week. So, what are your thoughts on on that argument?
1: You know, I did, did something. I did a lot of research. Uh, I want to say about a week or two ago, right when they right when PSG had clinched the league, uh, I want to say the game was against Troy's bottom team in the league put seven past them right and you're like all right you know this barely broke of, a sweat a cherry on top of the season this is the yeah. type of salt that yeah and what the, the thing to me is is that i don't know that it's the level of competition because if you look at the rest of league you're seeing a lot of these a lot of teams who aren't your traditional marseilles uh your Bordeaux, your Lille's, your Lyons. i mean these are teams that are you know in the fourth through twelfth range right now, mm-hmm. they're no longer making up the top four, five, six. I think that there is a lot, lot more competition in France than a lot of people give it credit for. There are a lot more really good players in France than a lot of people give give them credit for. I just think it's a little bit more spaced out. Mm-hmm. Um, the only issue, the only thing that I'd say is the difference is that PSG just is. That much higher as far as the level of talent goes. So does that mean that they're not playing high intensity games? No, they're pl- playing very very good teams. They're just that level above to the point right. where, you know, it it, it looks a lot worse you know mm. i mean you get a team you know that's playing against psg and it's one nil until the 75th minute and then they just break it open yeah i mean when you can do that yeah you can do that it doesn't mean you didn't play a hard-fought game it just means towards the end that's when everything came together when they, you know either the other team faded or you know just the level of talent just mm-hmm. became that much more with psg so i don't know that it's necessary that they're not playing high intensity games i mean you know what, what's a high intensity game i mean is it just end-to-end stuff I mean, is it a team that wins 1 0 like Leicester? I mean, are Leicester playing high intensity games every week, just winning 1 0? I mean, I see more people criticizing them for that right. than they are, you know, praising them for, you know, for, uh, you know, winning these games or playing these high intensity games. So I, I think it really is subjective. I think a lot of people who don't watch the French League will just kind of write it off as, you know, oh, PSG or just some. Much- much better than romping over like it's the Belgian league or something like that, right, or right. you know, the Turk the Turkmenistani league or something. But mm-hmm. it, it's really not. It's I mean, one of my favorite it, leagues, the it, Turkmen Turkmenistani. The, Turk, <laughs> the Turkmen league, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> All right,
2: let's move, Morgan. Let's move ahead to yeah. the final game here. uh Wolfsburg with an incredible result against Real Madrid. I don't think anyone predicted this. I thought Real Madrid would be winning this game two nothing, okay. but the first half, it just the worst things. That, so. In the preview pod, Gabe and I talked about this, uh, sorry, last week's uh, review pod where we previewed these games, uh, I talked about how one of the areas that will be explo- could be explored by Wolfsburg using Draxler is that left-back spot with Marcelo, because we know Marcelo loves to bomb forward, and it's not a surprise that in this game, one goal and about three chances that weren't goals came from passes from that side uh because Marcelo was caught forward or the person in front of Marcelo which was often Bale and occasionally Cristiano did not track back uh so it, it's an area that Wolfsburg exploited magnificently and they have the probably the best result of all four games
1: yeah and you know really this is something that I do have a couple of, of thoughts on with Real Madrid and I actually just got done reading Sid Lowe's Fear and in La Liga Mm -hmm. highly recommend if you get a chance um you know it really does kind of give you in depth but one of the points that he made in there um something kind of towards the latter stages of you know to where we're at now not the Mm -hmm. early you know 30s 40s and 50s is that Madrid has become so obsessed with Barcelona that they've created teams designed just to beat Barcelona and what you're seeing now and you're seeing it a lot this year and you saw it a lot the past you've seen it a lot the past couple of years is that they have trouble against teams who aren't barcelona so they have these players that yes they're magnificent players but they're put in positions and they're lined up in a way that other teams can exploit them rather than just you know rather than barcelona and i think Mm -hmm. that you know like you said a guy like marcelo who has played against barcelona who has done well against Barcelona gets caught out against these teams that know how to play against a weak left back. You know, I mean, you don't have teams that have, have short little Jordi Alba that's going to get, you know, bowled over by right. Gareth Bale like he did at the in the Classico. Um, you know, Ricardo Rodriguez, who not only is a fantastic wrestling manager and announcer, also <laughs> plays as one of the best left backs in the world. Um, you know, there's your there's your one wrestling reference. (laughs) Exactly. But when you're playing against good, you know, when Madrid had to play against really good backs like that, I mean, it does. I mean, you you can see it kind of stunts them a little. Yeah. You know, because they don't have the physicality They're You know, they're not winning the balls in the air. They can't just boss these guys around. And again, Danny Alves has been one of the best right backs in the world for you know what five years now he's even starting to show crack so you've mm-hmm. seen it again in the classicos on there so you're seeing a madrid team who when they're going up a t- against a team that they should beat no matter what just because of the names on the team sheet are mm-hmm. still set up mainly to beat a team like barcelona when you're come up against a team like wolfberg who are you know at this point going to be considered scrappy up and coming a little bit tougher they're mm-hmm. going to run into a lot more trouble and i think that a result like this while it is shocking on paper when you really sit down and look at it you know, maybe, yeah, Wolfsburg coming in did have a little bit of a tactile, tactile, tactical advantage. Excuse me. It's yeah, that
2: that, that that um, tactical so. advantage I think comes down to the way they set up in midfield because you had Gila and apologize for that pronunciation, the number 23. I've
1: not, not known how to spell, how to say his name, and I've seen his name for the last like four years. Yeah. I have no idea.
2: I yeah, the, know, but I... the French. Actually, you know, he, interesting. He used to play for Atletico. He, he got let go, by Atletico. Twenty-three. I think yeah. he's twenty. He's a young, still a young central midfielder from France. Uh, he's been playing in the French team as well. So uh, he ha- he really caught my eye today, Morgan. I, I thought he was excellent. He he played basically for the first, entirely the first half, man-marked Cross out of the game. And then he wasn't pl- uh, playing so much man marking in the second half, but he was pressing both Kroos as well as Modric. And then that allowed Luis Gustavo to really switch the play quickly to either the forward, and Schürrle was playing as a false nine, or to Draxler or to Arnold behind Schlerler or Henrique on the wing. So it was a very simple tactical setup, a really good traditional 4-2-3-1. But the, the play of gilavegi again, apologize for the pronunciation, allowed Luis Gustavo to do what he does best. And it, I think that's something that Real Madrid will have to consider. Zidane will have to consider tactically how to nullify Luis Gustavo uh, getting on the ball. And the key to that, apparently, is getting on Gilavegi. So we'll see. All right, let's move ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so let, let's wrap up section. Uh, let's wrap up section one here, Morgan, and we will be back for section two, where we'll talk about Conte to your beloved Chelsea and preview Dortmund versus Liverpool. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast. We'll be right back. So we're going to start section two with a bit of a correction. Morgan, informed me just uh, as soon as we start recording section one. That he is actually still a an Atletico player, so thank you for that, Morgan. He's a, he's on loan, uh, yeah. I guess.
1: Guevogui, not my son. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, Morgan is now playing for Atletico and uh, and yeah, for no, Wolfsburg. He, he's
1: been he's been with Atletico since 2013, and then uh, he's done two loans. He went to and did okay there, which was his club before when they mm. bought him, and he's now on loan at Wolfsburg, where he's really he's been on loan at Wolfsburg for two years now. Oh, okay. That's and awesome. uh, he's really kind of come into his own there. So the- Yeah, I, I have to admit,
2: I, I, I last yeah. time I watched him was in a French uh, French shirt. So I didn't notice him. And then I saw him play today and I was like, I remember that name. And then I remember I remembered who he was, but I forgot that he was still an Atletico player. So, uh, Morgan, let's talk about the big news this week. Uh, it was officially announced that uh, Antonio Conte is now going to be Chelsea manager at the end of the World Cup. Um, so as a Chelsea supporter, I think this is perfect to have you to talk about this. First of all, there should be a caveat for any listener who hasn't heard Morgan talk about Chelsea. Bias is coming. Uh and uh it'll Bounce. be it'll Bounce. be my job. It'll be Bounce. my job to uh set him straight, you guys.
1: <laughs> the truth. So,
2: <laughs> so so let's let's start this conversation with the general uh, idea that some people in the media have had uh and I think I kind of agree with in this in some ways is that Chelsea are really still trying to recreate Mourinho 1.0 uh, because Conte, in a lot of ways, is like Mourinho. He still ha- he has that same fire, uh, probably, well, depending on who you ask, he has more fire and more is harder on his players. But give me your thoughts on that. Are are Chelsea st- still stuck in 2005?
1: I don't think they're stuck in 2005. I mean, obviously, if they were, they'd keep Mourinho around. Um You know, the thing about Conte to me, again, he's a hard worker. He does a lot of um, research. That's the one thing that I'm sure if you've read any of the articles on him, he does a lot of research, a lot of video research. Yes, he is tough on his players, but you haven't seen the cracks that have come out where Mourinho, he can be tough, but he can also be, um, I'm not going to bleep it on here, but he can be an a-hole to the other seven of players that he doesn't use Conte to me at least seems to be from what I've read almost universally loved by all of his players it's that tough love that he gives them and they actually end up respecting it whereas he's not just out in the press you know down talking a guy or uh you know just calling guys out for no reason trying to create unnecessary drama I think that's the biggest difference between the two is is he's just you know he's tough on his players demands respect but also gives them the same amount of respect that they deserve mm-hmm. rather than you know just creating whatever drama that needs to come in on there um the other misconception that i've seen from Conte is that he's a three five two man mm-hmm. uh which yes he it's it's a very popular style that he's played he had a lot of success with it with italy he's had a lot of success with it success with it with juventus uh, um, but if you go back to and you, you actually do look at some of the positioning and the tactics that he's played at some of the previous teams that he was at, really, he played with what he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're playing with Barry, you can't go out and just buy whoever you want at center back. So he does have that, he does have the ability to fluctuate his tactics. I'm sure he has one tactic that he is comfortable with and one tactic that if they can do it, he knows he can win with. But if he has to, he can move it around. The good news is coming in with Chelsea, he's going to be able to, you know, I mean, not buy whoever he wants, but he can buy players that are going to fit whatever system he wants to play. And there are a lot of players at Chelsea, not just, you know, in the youth ranks, but also out on loan that he could probably have his pick of the litter and get whoever he wants. I mean, Christ, he's finally going to get Juan Cuadrado. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Cuadrado is only on loan at Juventus, and it doesn't look like they're going to end up buying him. So he's Mm -hmm. finally going to get a player that he's coveted for a while so we might be able to see that on there um but yeah i mean I, I don't necessarily think they're stuck i mean the only thing they're stuck in about 2005 is that they want to dominate like it's 2005 i'd say that's the that's the only thing that they're stuck in
2: fair enough now tell me uh one of the things that i think we should also consider is that i think uh from my perspective antonio conte is obviously a good manager i think what he did at juventus was magnificent he literally dragged them out of the abyss that was having just got promoted from uh, from Serie B after the whole uh, scandal. I mean, we there were other managers who went there. Ranieri was there, things of that nature. But it wasn't until Conte showed up that Juventus really started to dominate football and became the power that they once were. And I, I think uh, it, it's largely down to Conte to, that started that. He's done well with Italy. Now, one of the things that is still being brought up right now, Morgan, is this... Uh, this bribery, not bribery, match-fixing scandal. Uh, so the the report is that while he was at Siena, which he was in Serie B at the time, he uh, in uh, this is a claim of one of the people involved in the scandal that Conte knew about the scandal, uh, knew about the knew about what was going on because he addressed it in the locker room. This was not corroborated by any of the players and it remains under largely contested uh, and contradicted by Conte and his legal. Uh, personnel. But the issue is there. There are reports that he might be getting fined or even serving some jail time. So how does that? Uh, what What are your thoughts on that whole situation?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, for what I've seen, it's been like a six month ban. I think is what they're calling for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my thoughts on it. It's you know, it's Italy. It's Serie B, where stuff like that happens all the time. I mean, there's been count you know, articles, books written on the corruption that's just rife right throughout not just, you know, the lower leagues. I mean it's right. been in Serie oh, well, we've seen two huge scandals since then. Yep. Does that, you know, I mean, do you just dismiss it? No, you don't. Uh whether he knew about it or not, I don't know. I mean there are certain times where I've seen it discussed where yes, the players knew about it, the manager maybe didn't. Um it's kind of hard for the manager not to know about it, I'm sure at that point, but mm-hmm. If it does come back, and he was, you know, he does get implicated. He did know about it. He, you know, obviously should serve his time. You know, yeah. he should serve whatever the ban is, serve whatever's up on there, and then go from there. Is there, um, you know, some sort of release clause? Do I not want him to be Chelsea manager? No, obviously not. I'd love for him to be the Chelsea manager one way or another. But it's, I think, when you're in that, that environment of you know sarah b where it's okay you know we know you're going up we're possibly going down here's x please Mm -hmm. help us stay up right it it just it's one of those things that it's always it's always there it's rife when you just kind of adapt to your environment that you're in does that mean that there's going to be a match fixing scandal in england now that conte's there i highly doubt it england to me at least seems like one of the more relegated leagues that could be wrong. You never know. I mean, we just had this whole Panama paper thing come out. Right, there could right. be something come out. Yeah, there could be something come out with this. But at least the you know, Premier League gives itself off as one of the more regulated when it comes to match fixing. When it comes to especially the higher levels, and, and when you're at the level of the Premier League. That you know, it's almost impossible to do something like that. It,
2: yeah. At least it would seem to be that way to me. So, final thing about Conte. Uh, I'll give you the names of a couple of players, and I want you to tell me whether you see them at Chelsea next year. It doesn't have to be a. You don't have to explain much. Maybe just in a minute, we'll wrap this part up. So, John Terry and Diego Costa. Chelsea next season, not.
1: I think that Terry will be there next season. Will he be playing? I don't know. Costa, I think he will be there next season.
2: Okay. All right. And this is obviously a story that will continue to develop. As we know, Conte will be busy with Italy uh, well into the summer. So uh, transfer dealings and all that stuff will probably only start up uh, in July. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Let's preview the Dortmund-Liverpool game here, Morgan. Uh, by the time many of our listeners will listen to this, the game will either be on. So we'll do this very uh, briefly. Uh, The big, obviously, talking points are Klopp going back to his beloved uh, uh, previous club where he's loved and adored by the fan base. Loved. Loved. uh, And uh, so what I want to ask you is, can you see Liverpool... So when, when Gabe and I previewed this game on ULF Podcast on Monday, my thought was that the only way Liverpool can pull off uh, uh, going through in this tie is if they have the best defensive performance of their entire season. I know they have a lot of attacking talent up front. I I appreciate how good Coutinho is. I appreciate how good Firmino has been in the last four or five months. But I think given the talent in that Dortmund team, uh, Gundogan has started training. So I, I cannot see a way that Liverpool can hold them off enough to go through unless they have an incredible defensive performance.
1: I I tend to agree with you on that. I think that um you know, you just you look at not just the attacking talent but the talent overall at Dortmund is at another level I think when you compare it to Liverpool on there from front to back. uh, uh to me it's going to depend on who they put in goal uh for Dortmund. Obviously if you put uh, Roman Weidenfeller in there as it seems they've done a lot in the european uh games you've got a little bit more of a chance He's a decent keeper but, but he's you know kind of he's kind of um uh what's the word prone to a mistake here and there <laughs> um you know and, and that's the thing you know it takes it just takes one mistake to turn a tie like that especially mm-hmm. when the team you know play evenly if they you know if liverpool do have well, one of the best that that works out perfectly
2: because menulais at the other well, side <laughs> it's,
1: exactly yeah and that's the other thing you've got simon mignolet who is you know also prone to guess so we could maybe we could see a 5-4 right right Um, but obviously i think if they put roman burke in you're you're going to see it it's just going to be that much tougher uh when you come up against dortmund i think that um you know tuchel has taken them to another level of where klopp's playing style was Mm -hmm. so you're you're building on it you're kind of advancing past it so you know, And the other thing, yeah, you got Firmino, who's been playing well. You've got um, the other little Brazilian guy that you just said. Hira Coutinho. On. Again, I apologize, Coutinho. Coutinho. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but outside of that, I mean, there's not a whole lot on the strike force. I mean, you're going to have to rely on what? Christian Benteke? Um, yeah, he's
2: injured, so he's not going to be playing. So Firmino will probably play uh, with Sturridge and strike. Coutinho, yeah.
1: But even Sturridge too i mean he's another one who's a you know he's a hamstring tweak away from yeah yeah exiting the game so i mean it's there's not a whole lot of confidence you have up at the top up at the front mm-hmm. and the back again i mean when you have to give it's it's one thing to give one life-changing performance is a whole other thing to do it twice so i think you know when you get there if you go over two legs with these guys it's going to be um yeah you know, i think dorman is going to end up coming out on, on top but It should still be a fun game. I think the atmosphere that you'll see with Klopp uh, returning to the club, I think it'll be a fun fun atmosphere, at least to see for the
2: Tifos and everything like that. I I think one of the things uh, Liverpool supporters should be happy about is that every time Klopp's team, Klopp's Liverpool have come up against a big team, they've tended to do well. Uh, This has been true in the league. It's been true in um, Europa this season. So even though Dortmund go in as heavy favorites, uh, based on what we saw against spurs uh in the weekend i think liverpool fans will have some confidence and uh, i might you know you can't rule out an upset especially based on what we saw with wolfsburg real madrid yeah. uh, so we'll wrap up section two here and section three we'll preview three key key games in the premier league and that will be it for tonight's world soccer talk podcast we'll be right back In the final section of tonight's podcast, we will be previewing three games that we think will have, uh, that have major repercussions for either the, the title race or the relegation battle. Uh, and those three games will be Southampton-Newcastle, Sunderland-Leicester City, and Tottenham-Manchester United. So let's start with the Southampton-Newcastle game, Morgan. This game is has huge relegation implications. With Norwich six points ahead, having played a game more, this is a must-win game for Rafa Benitez's Newcastle. However, Southampton are unbeaten in the last five against Newcastle, Morgan. Southampton have won five of their last seven Premier League games. Newcastle, on the other hand, winless in six. Real, real uphill task for Newcastle.
1: It really is. Honestly... After um, well, after the last game, I really think the Newcastle are done. Yeah, um, you know Benitez for what you can think of him as a manager, what you think that he's done, he just he's not that miracle worker. You know, he, he he's not taken a team from the brink of relegation and gotten them safe. He's more okay, things are going well. Let's go to the top and push at that point. So I think mm-hmm. this is it was a strange appointment. Appointment to me mainly because it seemed like he was just done for the name recognition value at that point because he hasn't really done this and if he has done it it's been years since he's done it so you know I, I think Newcastle are done I mean at this point Rafa doesn't really have anything to lose because he doesn't have to go to the championship with this team if they end up going down and honestly going down might be the best thing for Newcastle but we said that last time we're right back down here so I mean it does have a implications you're coming up against a strong Southampton side who has been playing very well who has beaten them on the regular I just can't see a result in Newcastle's way in in any way I just I can't really see anything that Newcastle does where they end up winning this game I just can't
2: yeah about a month and a half ago I thought Newcastle were uh, not going to get relegated but based especially on last week's result uh, I in agreement with you I think they're in serious trouble and and a loss in this game pretty much uh, guarantees that and uh, I guess this is a good time, as any, to announce that Christian uh, Henage, Newcastle United supporter, will be rejoining the World Soccer Talk podcast, and he'll be joining us on Sunday to talk about this game and everything else. So you can look forward to that. Newcastle's rele- relegation uh, battlers, as well as local rivals, Sunderland, will be playing Leicester City. This game has repercussions both at the bottom end and the top end, uh, Morgan, Sunderland have won one in (laughs) 10. Ranieri's team is doing terrifically well. They've been winning one nothing all the time. Goals are coming from a variety of players, not just Mares, not just Vardy. Okazaki scored a worldy in the international break. If you, if you didn't get a chance to see that, that was a brilliant Mm -hmm. goal. The confidence is high. And honestly, Morgan, if Leicester wins, which I think they will, and Spurs drop points against United, the tile race will be over this weekend.
1: Yep. You know, I mean, well, what's the magic number now? Um, Twelve points, right?
2: I Ooh. think
1: that's what the magic number is for uh, Leicester City. Right,
2: right, right. They'll be, it'll be if <laughs> if if, yeah, if, if, if they win state and state and Spurs state. draws, I think they will be nine points ahead of uh, Spurs. Yeah, which
1: yeah, a lot of points to make up. I don't, you know, you're. you're probably right on there that it will be but again we're looking at a team like leicester city who mm-hmm. has never been up at this point right so but
2: neither has spurs really so outside
1: of a double digit lead a lot of people are going to question that yeah yeah um but you know again if i could just control c control p my newcastle <laughs> analysis to this one i would i mean you know sunderland again just
2: you mean control v like, right because i control p yeah, is yeah, print tough. i don't know how Control-V. printing would help you <laughs>
1: Well, no, I would print. No, I would print it out and then I would send.
2: <laughs> then you would. Then you would it. paste it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I would
1: paste. Yeah, Control Paste. Yes. No, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, Sunderland. Nothing that the Northeast is offering right now, football-wise, that would bring you any confidence or any reason to think that they could pull off a major upset. Mm-hmm. You know, Big Sam. Yeah, Big Sam is a guy who has done it before. Right? Pull teams out of relegation, granted right. from his own doing, but I just think that at this point, the way these two teams are set up, the way you know the mentality, uh, just the way that everything's been going, I think this is the year that you kind of see the Northeast disappear from the Premier League, at least for next season. I, I again, I can't see them especially like you said, Leicester's pulling goals out of nowhere, different guys stepping up a different time. You know, different timing. you know, West Morgan pulled one up right. the other day. I mean, it's, you know, they're just, they just seem to be that team of destiny and coming up against a team like Sunderland, you know, Sunderland doesn't beat the team. Or, yeah. They don't beat the team of destiny. At that point, there's just no way.
2: Yeah. I think I'm in agreement with I mean, you. Not only, not only is Leicester a, uh, Flying high right now. I think Sunderland's own issues. I think the best best thing Sunderland did last week was a couple of chances that Defoe created, and he couldn't put those away. Yeah. Had he put those away, I think we would be Sunderland would have come into this game with some confidence. But uh, yeah, Leicester but City's had just had he been good.
1: able to put things like that away consistently, they
2: will, he wouldn't be at Sunderland. Wouldn't be in this situation. <laughs> he, wouldn't be, he wouldn't be Jermaine Defoe. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that, that
1: just feeds back into the point of. Yeah, you know, these are teams that there's a reason they are where they are at this point. Mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know it, it's it's not the early season. You know, you can go in and talk about defensive frailties, offensive, you know, and aptitude, but at this point, you really do know what these teams are, and it's just it, it really is hard at this point to really make a tactical argument as to why they might be able to pull it out. I mean, there's maybe a one percent chance Sunderland, I think, pulls this out into a victory for themselves.
2: Yeah, from a U.S. men's national team perspective, the, the recent ban for Emmanuel Abue might mean that uh, DeAndre Yedlin actually gets playing time again for Sunlin. Uh, yeah. But that will also mean that he'll be coming up against Mares. So he might be wishing or hoping that he'll that ban hadn't gone, gone through. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He's in him a lot. Yes. Uh, I mean, the thing is that Yedlin will, will match. Mars for pace any day of the week, but the problem is Mars's trickery, his ability to play with both feet, his ability to cut inside is really going to trouble Yedlin. Who, uh, who you know, he, he's improved. He's improved as a defender, to be honest. He has improved as a defender, but he's still not up to Premier League standard.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, it's it's not like they're going off into a foot race. You know, this right. isn't the hundred meter dash. This is football, where you do other things than run in a straight line, unless you play for a Big Sam.
2: <laughs> there's, there's a Jesus Navas joke somewhere in there but I won't make it yeah. alright so uh, let's talk Tottenham Manchester United final game will preview uh, big repercussions in terms of the top four race big repercussions in terms of the title race uh, United will need to win this game because City are going to be playing West Brom whom they will fairly comfortably beat uh, in spite of what Tony Pulis is able to put up defensively, which is a lot. Uh, which means that once City goes clear four points at that point clear of United, United's going to have to win to get back to the one-point difference which exists right now. Whereas Spurs dropping any sort of points, as we mentioned when we were previewing the Leicester City game, is pretty much game over in most people's opinion for the title. Because after that, Leicester City play four teams, who, uh, that are comfortable, that are teams that they've already beaten earlier this season. So Tottenham Manchester United, Morgan, your thoughts.
1: I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, it's, it is a big game for both of them in both races that they're chasing. I mean, it, obviously Manchester United finishing outside of the top five again is going to be a, uh, um, going to be a huge, huge issue, especially for Van Hall and his legacy. Uh, <laughs> his legacy. First. Yeah. His legacy. <laughs> I mean Spurs again they're playing with house money at this point you know I mean it's it's a good season I think the biggest thing for them is it's not just the title too I think there's a little bit creeping in of we need to finish above Arsenal and I think that's something that's right there in the back of Pochettino's mind that he's you know he's trying to turn the mentality around in this team to not just be the younger brother, I mean, they want to be the big boy on the block at London, mm-hmm. and right now they are. I mean, there's there's no way you can argue with four points up on Arsenal and however many up on Chelsea, right. not as many up on on uh, West Ham, but still. I, I mean, it's you know when you want to when you're trying to turn this team around, one of the biggest things you can do, and they and they never would have thought they, I highly doubt they would have thought they would have been in this place at this point of the year going into the season and so as far as the title race goes yeah they're playing with house money they're going to play loose they're going to play relaxed i think they're going to play well but i think that the biggest thing for them going into this is also going to be making sure that they get the points to not only finish as high as they can but to finish above arsenal just to break that streak and to break that hold Mm -hmm. mentally that arsenal has held over them for what 20 30 years now however Mm -hmm. long that stupid holiday has been going on for
2: (laughs) Yeah, this would be the first time in 50 years that Spurs would have won the league. I I think it's very unlikely at this point. But um, yeah, United have a really good record against Spurs at White Hart Lane. United have not been beaten at White Hart Lane since 2000. Uh, Glenn Hoddle was the last manager to beat United at White Hart Lane. Uh, Having said that, I think this Spurs team is very different from any Spurs team we have seen since 2000. Uh, and they come into this game heavy favorites because I think Manchester United's inability to create chances uh, mixed with Spurs' excellent defensive structure and excellent midfield uh, gives them a huge advantage over United. And let's not forget that Harry Kane uh, has beaten the best defenders in the world on his day. So I think Smalling and Daley Blint will be looking over their shoulder the whole time. And also, I think the two best Two of the three best goalkeepers in the world match up in this game as well. Now, if you have any feedback or questions for the review pod that we'll be doing on Sunday, tweet at me using hashtag WSTpod at Nipun Chopra7. You can find Morgan at Morgan underscore Green, Karthik at KKFLA737. And let's just say we have a pretty awesome guest, as I've mentioned, in Chris Henage lined up for Sunday's podcast. Long-term listeners of the pod will be enjoying the way uh, we're restructuring the podcast. Until then, on behalf of Chris Harris, everyone at World Soccer Talk, Morgan Green, this is Nipun Chopra saying enjoy your football.
0: Hold up.